The Grizz Den Podcast 2021 offseason is presented by Walker Financial Management. John Morant is an NBA superstar and the engine of the Grizzlies offense. But he would be the first to tell you it takes consistent support from teammates, coaches, trainers, and advisors for him to be the most successful on and off the court. In the same way, small business owners are the engines of their companies and wear lots of hats. Walker Financial Management exists to support owners of small to medium-sized businesses, specifically in regards to bookkeeping. They offer customizable solutions like transaction categorization, monthly financial statement preparation, accounts receivable, and payable management, payroll, CFO services, and more. If you or someone you know is spending too much time, money, or stress on bookkeeping, find peace of mind by, by visiting www.walkerfm.com to schedule a free consultation with a certified bookkeeping professional today. Again, that's www.walkerfm.com. Welcome back to the Grizz Den Podcast. We are Let's pumped go. to be here. It's been too long of an off season, even though it's been the shortest one in a long time. Uh, Ty is here. Yeah. Brantley's here. Hi. Shout out to Jacob Kent. Let's go. He's hanging out with us tonight. Loyal listener. All right. So we are going to jump into some questions that we have going into the off season. We're recording this. Um, the day after media day, and we are less than a month out from the start of the season, which is pretty wild. We'll be playing some preseason games in like a week, which is just absurd. But we have put together some questions that we have going into the season, and we're going to try to not make this two and a half hours long. Um, but there's a lot to discuss. All right, let's start at the top. The most important thing, everybody's talking about it, and so we will too. Um, Dylan question. Brooks' hair. I mean, that's, yeah, that that's was what, it. That's it, right? <laughs> totally. And does he have a broken arm or not? I guess he's fine now. Anyway, uh, all right. At least it's not a broken foot. Hey. Question number one: oh. <laughs> The top rope. <laughs> Let's go. We're back. Top question: Will Jaron Jackson Jr. emerge as the consistent number two option? And uh, to to you know follow up on that, when will there be a contract extension agreement, and how much? Do you think that the way that we approach Dylan with his extension is what may play out here? Like maybe they sort of let him have a little bit of the first season, first part of the season, see how he plays, and then leverage that as a little bit of the catalyst for what happens not like as the only lens for it but some of it I'm sort of when I was thinking about this question earlier I just was like I wonder if what's happened from a precedence perspective could help us here and sort of understanding the timing for the extension I think that Ja is, and Jaren and Trip, as he is currently known as are going to partner together and at least showing what a consistent number two could look like. That's my take. I thought 
going into we had our off season podcast that we did, and one of the guarantees I made on the end is that Jaron Jackson Jr.'s deal would be one of the very first to be signed. I was completely wrong. It was, like, it was bold though, Cotton. Yeah, you know great that's take. why we're here. But I was pretty surprised that it wasn't on that higher end, non max but higher end, uh, because like we said back then. Memphis, small market, you have somebody who could end up being something, and why are you going to potentially sour anything there without showing some goodwill? And so I was surprised when it didn't get done. Not to say it couldn't get done, but to me, I think you see something like the John Collins situation being the perfect comparison where there are slight doubts. The team could um, go one way if they if Jaron plays one way or they could go the opposite if he's just not in the mix. And so you have to keep your options open if you're the team. But if you're Jaron, you obviously want to strike while the iron's hot and it's not its its hottest right now. So I think having some time to process and see that it wasn't going to get done actually caused me at least to take a step back and be like, okay, this might be smartest for both sides. And that's just how it's going to be. And so it would be. I don't know what the rule is on the midseason extension. I think that's there is what I was going to ask. If there's a date, I'm pretty sure it's the start of the season that they have and to get that extension done, or it has to wait. We need to verify, and we will. Um, but I think that's what the CBA has sure. for this. And he's also not like the only one in that class still waiting. Totally. Uh, DeAndre Ayton has yet to sign, and that's kind of the other big man who. Took a leap, I guess you could say. Um, he actually took a leap. Yeah, he truly did. Right. Um, but as far as the Jaron is the number two, Yeah, I just kind of wrote that he has to be. Yeah. Um, that's like the role that he's going to be put in. Um, whether he succeeds or not, I think will determine a lot about the future of the Grizzlies, to be honest with you. Um, if he can develop into that number two currently maybe step into a number three role down the line if we get someone else you know if that develops I can't really speak on it because I don't know Um, but I think for this season I think for us to be the best team we can be he has to be our second best player for sure yeah I think a really interesting part of this is going to be the fan reaction to Jaron's performance because I think if he continues to show let's say it's January and Jaron has not bounced back from what he was a couple of years ago. Are you going to see some fans start to turn um, because of, and that could be just uh, expectations there that were unfair. Uh, it could be Jaron actually just being, um, or just Jaron underperforming. I mean, it could be it too. So I'm very much going to be watching this as the number one thing because jaw is not a question you'll know like it's going to be it's so funny the lack of jaw conversation and we'll get to him but just because he's such an answered question there's not a question but jaron is the biggest so that's why i had it at number one well and i I sort of just feel like the way that the business is being handled here is uh like a lot of other things that are happening with the front office where it's quiet and well-organized and there's not a whole lot of information out there about what's even happening. So everybody, I mean, I just feel like there's been other discussions where there's been a a lot more indication of what's going to happen within other franchises. Whereas this one is, 
everyone is just sort of speculating and kind of suggesting what's going to happen. And when he was asked about it, so if y'all watch Media Day, it was Monday, and Chris Vernon had a few, two guys on um, to kind of interview them. One was Jaron, the other was Steven Adams. So Verno, in his normal self, just comes right out and just like says whatever is on his mind. And he was like, let's talk about the contract stuff. And Jaron didn't seem concerned or worried about it one bit. I'm not sure if y'all watched that little yeah. segment. But he was basically like, I have great people around me that I trust 100%, and they are doing all of that, and all I have to focus on is basketball. Um, it, like, as far as a – and he said multiple times he wants to be here. Like, this, these are not only, like, his teammates, but – these are his friends. Like he's talked about that so many times of like, we hang out. You remember when he just tweeted, like we hang out or whatever. Um, he and X are clearly really close. He and Ja apparently have hung out a ton this summer. They were close to begin with though. I think he wants to stay. And I think that goes a long way. Um, even the John Collins thing, if you remember like him and Trey young getting in the tiff during the, the film session that like fueled the fire of like, what's going to happen with like, there's none of that happening with Jaron. Like there's no like, what does he want? You know, it's very much like they're going to work it out and they're going to both feel comfortable with the number and then it's, they're going to put it past them and move on. So I'm not really concerned with, and I trust the front office. I think Brantley, you were kind of making, yeah, I, whatever number they, whatever comes out, I'm going to trust a hundred percent. Yeah. I'd love to see Jaron just grow into a max guy. I'd love to give Jaron the max if he earns it and I hope yeah. he earns it. All right, let's move on to question number two. Will Bain, or Kyle start. I think this is a really interesting one. Um, and to piggyback on that, how fluid will the start starting lineup be night to night? Of course, sans injury. But you know, Kyle has slid in when Jaron was hurt into that four spot and played really well there. Uh, you also saw some sometimes some nights. You know, there would be different. Maybe Brandon Clark or Xavier Tillman, somebody like that. But he played really well at the four. Um, but it's basically a choice between versatility and playmaking or shooting. And so it's, it's almost as if do you trust, um, you know, you have the spacing with Jaron, you have Steven Adams, presumably who will be at the five. Um, do you, do you go with a bigger lineup and Kyle at the three Dylan at the two, or do you, uh, slot Bane into the two, let Dylan play the three, uh, which way do you go? So if you, if you guys were Taylor Jenkins and, you had to start the season one way or the other. What would you do? <clears throat> so I have written down, I think Bain's the guy. And the reason I say that is because I think he is most like Grayson. And Grayson got a lot of starts last year, especially, even though we were injured and stuff like that. But I think Jenkins values just the pure shooter. And I think of those three guys, Bain is the purest shooter. I think he scares teams the most. If if I were watching a game and he let it go, I would absolutely feel more comfortable with him making the shot than the other two guys. Even though Melton had like just as good of a percentage, I think. It was something wild. Also, Bain shot close to 70% in Summer League, and all those were just like pull-up threes. Like they were ridiculous off-the-dribble shots. Um I think Bain starts. I could be wrong, definitely. I think it gets tricky unless Jaron goes back to the 40% on eight threes a game like he did two years ago where he's just like also a knockdown, just pure shooter as well. I think that makes Kyle's 
kind of role in the starting unit a little sticky. Um, unless he starts shooting 37, 38% too, which he kind of went on a little run where he did that. I just want to throw out a few things. So you mentioned Kyle and Bain. I also wanted to throw Melton in the mix because um, I think there's a chance that happens. Uh, I, saw, I thought it was interesting. They asked him, um, I don't remember the exact question, but it was asked Melton about maybe his role this year or maybe the Grayson trade. And he basically said, like, that gives me a lot of confidence because I think that they view me as, like, a piece and they, like, kept me kind of thing. I think that could be really good for him because I think in the playoffs, one thing that we got frustrated at is he kind of didn't look like he didn't know what he was doing. He kind of didn't belong. That could have been a confidence thing. We don't really know. He didn't belong. Um, There you go. So... All that being he, said, I hope he learns to belong. Yeah, he did not belong, and he's still year. a really young dude. I think he's like twenty three still. Maybe I, mean, I think he was twenty two last year. He's still a really young guy. He's younger than Bane um, and BC, which I think is wild. But just some just some stats. Uh, this is from last year, so it's a little weird because Jaron is not involved in this lineup, so that is a little different. Uh, but I just kind of want to throw out. Some two-man lineups from last year. These all include Ja, and then I also want to throw in some three-man lineups that also include Dylan. Uh, this may take some time. Bear with me here. Um, so two-man lineups of Ja and Melton. They played 453 minutes together. They were a plus 10. A two-man lineup of Ja and Kyle played 1,382 minutes, which were a ton of minutes. I think like second only behind Ja and JV which was wild. So they played a lot together, and they were a plus two, which is still in the plus. So a two-man of John Bain played 772 minutes, so second most, which I thought was surprising, more than Ja and Melton played. And they were a minus .5, so let's just call it a, an even scratch. Um, could mean nothing. I don't really know. But I'm kind of thinking of, like, who fits with Ja well in the starting, because it's all about starting lineup, right? Who fits with Ja best starting lineup. So then I was like, well, DB's definitely going to be in that starting lineup. So let's look at the three-man units. So DB into the equation with Kyle, Ja, and Dylan. Those three lineups, they played 1,082 minutes together, most of any three-man lineup on the team last year. They were a plus 3.1. If you look at Ja, Dylan, and Bain as a three-man lineup, they played 422 minutes together, were, were a plus 3.6. This is the interesting one. Ja, Dylan, and Melton played 178 minutes together. Not a ton. They were a plus 10. Just something to kind of think of. Again, these stats could, these are all per 36 stats. They could mean nothing. I think it's positive that almost all of them were a net positive. So it kind of seems like you can't really go wrong. Not, there's not one like crazy outlier. Um, but at the same time, you could almost see all of them and you could make, like, an argument for all of them. So it kind of comes to, like, not a personal preference, but maybe. I don't know. And I think Jenkins' preferences, prefers, preferences, <laughs> preference. What what happened? I'm just kidding. Uh, I, think, I think he's going to go with Bane because I think Bane is just the pure, you throw it to him on the wing, it's a knockdown. And he used Grayson a lot in that role last year in the starting lineup. So to the question of who's going to start, I just am basically like would ask you, Will, like what do you think the objective for the season is other than win? Well, 
the objective. That's, that's the answer to the question. Find, find, find your core. Okay, so then Bane starts. I think it depends, though, because although there is a clear, like, I would love to see Bane starting. I would worry in matchups to where you have a bigger two guard or a bigger one, what's going to happen. And that goes back to who's anchoring your defense, which then, I mean, Adams is great in the middle, but where does the help side come from? It all roads lead to Jaron in a way in this question, because I also though love that Kyle's nature and the way he plays is to get everybody else involved before he takes anything on himself. And so I think it'd be interesting. Like I would love for uh, we us to have lineups where it's like Ja, Bane, and Kyle. When let's say Dylan has five fouls in two minutes or something like that, just to see how that would work with Jaron. Um, because I just like how Kyle is could be a playmaker at that three spot where Dylan is going to be more of a shot taker. So I mean that's not the question, but I don't think it's bad if Bane. If Bane starts, I'm just going to be a little bit more, uh, I guess, interested in how we're going to defend. Another, yeah, that's a good point about the defense. And I think we're going to go small being Jaron at the five to close a lot. So I'll be really curious who plays the four, too. Because, like, X, BC, Kyle kind of all play that similar position in, like, a closing lineup. Other thing I thought about is Kyle is is he the oldest or second oldest? He and Steve O, as they're calling him. One of them, I think they're both twenty eight, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I can right see Kyle being like a very stabilizing presence on our second unit because you would think we're gonna give Culver some run and you're gonna think we're gonna give Zaire a run. That's coming. That question's and coming. You would think it would make a lot of sense to have a guy who just moves the ball, is crazy smart, can put people in the right positions do a lot of little things for the second unit, and Kyle just fits that to a T. Yeah. No, that's so true. And I am uh, I do think Bane could be great. Like, I'm not – I'm just – I have a ton – yeah, I think Bane – I think this – I think at the end of the year we could look back and be like, oh, we got – we really got something. All right, let's go to the next question. I already know that. Will Brandon Clark <laughs> and or DeAnthony Melton prove that they are playoff rotation caliber? Because – this is the year where hopefully we get to the playoffs and we get to see that question play out again, but you can sort of get to a point where you can see who's going to fit in the games that matter and who's going to shrink a little bit. Uh, BC and Melton were two guys that did not meet the spotlight, did not meet the moment uh, last year. So what do we think about those guys going into the season? I think we already know the answer on Melton. That's my that's my opinion. I would love to be proven wrong, um, but I I I think that we already know. I think BC. I I sort of want to give BC the benefit of like, man, he just really had a down year this year, and he had his confidence missed all year, because I do think in his rookie season, he he didn't back down, and he had moments where he belong. He looked like he belonged, I, um, and didn't shrink from the moment. And I th- that's how I'm – it all depends on how you're judging playoff rotation caliber. I know. 
And I I to totally am viewing that off of intuition and I test on whether they or not they back down in the moment. It doesn't mean that they have the talent capacity to meet the moment. That's where Grayson, he had the intuitionally he met in the moment, but we've sort of evaluated that ultimately his the the talent capacity that we needed was probably worth passing on. Melton may have the talent capacity, but he backed down. And I don't know if that's just something you can learn. I think, too, you can see guys when they are in those fourth quarter clutch situations. I would rather have a guy. There's a there's a line, obviously. You don't want somebody who's rash, but somebody who's confident and is going to take the shot and not necessarily be a, let's say, Ben Simmons under the basket at the end of a game and is trying to pass it off rather than just at least just shoot if you're open, you know? The difference between Bain and Melton in the playoffs was so staggering that I can t- I'm i not going to back off of that take until Melton proves me wrong as much as I wish that I were wrong. Right, because then you could treat Melton. If he's shooting well, he brings the defense, and so like on paper you could see a player that brings more than Bain, but we saw very clearly that Bain was ready. That's right. And, I mean, granted, they're the same age, but at the end of the day, Bain had a and lot year less one, experience. year one, he was ready. Yes, year one, stepped exactly. on the court, first time ever, big moments, stepped in, wasn't too big. Yep. You can't – that's just a – I don't know. You just can't teach that. What do you think, Ty? Are you ready to boot out BC? Because it seems like it sometimes when we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's not personal at all. No. <laughs> Man, Will and Tom might throw down whenever we bash on BC. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've done some every things. trade includes him. I know I'm for sorry. Ty, it's I'm fine. Sorry. Uh, man, I think they're both. And so I think one thing to Brantley's point about like BC's rookie year, I think one thing he had such a defined role, and he was asked to do like one thing well, and he did it great. In year two, it almost seemed like, hey, let's try to expand that, and it all fell apart. And I think injuries could have been a huge factor because he has mentioned like he had na- a nagging injury like the entire year. It was one thing after the other. He said yesterday that this is the best he's ever felt, and he thinks he's the best player today that he's ever been, which is really encouraging. But I think that is what make both of them tricky is right now they're so niche and situational. Totally. And neither one of them are just like throw them into any – situation and you're gonna like they're gonna thrive like right now they need to be in certain positions to do well and I think until they basically you can throw them out there in any position and trust that they're gonna be able to contribute I think they're both I think they're both gonna get minutes for sure but in like a sticky seven-man playoff rotation I think they're both probably gonna be on the outside looking in but I do think Bain sorry Melton would be ahead of BC in like a playoff rotation still. And here's my take. I don't know if I agree with it. I just think that would be the case. If we make the playoffs this year, I, I will continue to lie on this. This is about finding your top eight. I care more about Culver than those two. That is a take. Got a giggle out of Jake over there. Expand. T- just tell me Culver more. Culver has he's – a, he's lottery pick potential. So, like – you well, can, he was a lottery pick. He was a lottery saying. pick, he but has he hasn't he, to live up to that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas BC and Melton, they don't have that potential. Yeah. So you got you you fleeced, in my opinion, another organization at a shot at that type of potential. 
This is a free shot year for us. You got to learn what you got in him. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely an interesting take because I think there's... <laughs> you can bring it on. No, I mean, I just think that there's... I think there's a lot more equity built up in Melton and BC, and I think in any rotation. We're, we're, I mean, we're answering the question, should they? Not necessarily what will they do. But um, I would want to make sure that last year was a fluke or wasn't a fluke for my guys before I... Necess- and I I don't think that Culver... This is our next question. We'll just combine these. I'm, I ha- asked who will win the minutes battle between Zaire Williams and Jarrett Culver because those are two guys that play a very similar position and we just have such a crowded rotation and you want everybody to get that chance to show that they have the stones to play and break that top eight because I do agree with you. It's all about the top eight. And so it's like... Between those four guys, they're kind of all... I mean, Zaire has plenty of time. Culver, though, to me, I I hope he's good. But if he's not, he's an expiring, and we only have another year that we can sign him to a a quote-unquote extension. So, I mean, like, I just think your situation, you're locked up with Culver in a financial sense because you didn't pick up his option. Or you didn't decline it, I'm sorry. And then... I don't know. They don't. They don't know what they're doing yet with him. That's my point. So our our boys Iair is on our other friends who who starts with a Z's diet in New Orleans of five thousand <laughs> calories per day. <laughs> His objective is a little bit different than Culver's. He's trying to eat as much as possible. I mean, and gain weight. I I don't even know if this is a battle. I mean, I think Zaire may get some minutes, but I to me. I I I think that this is Culver gets the minutes because we have to learn quickly what what potential we have in him, and I think I I hope to see Zaire get some minutes, but I I just think the mix is going to be heavily weighted towards Col- towards Culver just based on like the the transaction investment that was made. Yeah, I think so too. That yeah. I think Zaire. We knew this was like a long term play, and the fact that we have him eating a full meal every two hours. We're very focused on like, let's get that body right. Cause we got time to like implement you into the team concept. I mean, he's going to be implementing that cause he's going to be with the team all, all year long and stuff like that. But at the same time, I think Culver kind of to both of y'all's points, you're kind of made the same argument just in a different way. Like we just got to know. And the only way to really know is to play him. And you're saying we have to know we have to extend him by what date in the middle of October? So we have until the season begins to basically pick up the next year on his option. Or if we do, we have him not only That's this right. year but next year. And if we don't, then we don't have a certain amount. We are limited in how we can then re-sign him if we decline the team option. It's the Josh Jackson deal. Yeah. Um, but. I I also, we don't know, I mean, on paper, we talked about this, that Culver looked like the, you know, the, what was, what came back in return for sending Patrick Beverly, Um, but we don't know what the front office thinks about Culver. I think that's going to be really interesting, because you got to think that this word collaboration is used all the time between Taylor Jenkins and Kleiman, but it's Kleiman just like, listen, we don't. We don't really care about Culver. We're not. We're going to do this with him, whether he plays well or not. 
you know, we could treat him as an expiring in a deal if he plays well. If he doesn't, then don't worry about, you know, stick him at the end of the bench. We have plenty of guys that we're invested in. You know, we'll see. I, I'd like to know that a month in rather than, you know, him play really well at the very end of the season. We're like, well, shoot. You know, we could have been using the whole time and now we're limited in what we can do. So, yeah, I'd rather see him play, especially in the first two months rather than Zaire. Yeah. I don't know if I said this on a – I don't remember the – I honestly don't remember the last time we podcasted and what it was all about. But I remember when the Culver trade was made that a lot of people compared Culver to Josh Jackson. I think I texted this to you all. I know for sure. I compared Culver to D'Anthony Melton in that deal. And the fact that we made the deal and we got, if you think of the Wolves trade, we got Hernan Gomez and Culver. What do we do with Hernan Gomez? Immediately ship him out. Not a concern. What do we do with Josh Jackson? Send him to South Haven. Wasn't really interested. What do we do with Melton, though? We slowly built him up in our rotation. He started getting more minutes, more minutes, more minutes, and then we re-signed him to a longer deal. To me, Culver in this situation is more like Melton than he is like Josh Jackson, if that makes sense. I think we made the deal to basically Hernan Gomez was the money thing. We were going to flip him regardless, and I think we saw the asset, kind of like what you've been talking about, Brantley. We saw the asset and a chance. Hey, we like this guy. Apparently, we really liked him in the draft. A lot of people have said that. Um, and we were like, we can get this guy in our in-house and just really see what we got. But I think they made the deal to get Culver. So I'd be really surprised if we just like pulled the – like when people started comparing him to Josh Jackson, I was like, I don't know if that's accurate. I wouldn't really align those two. I would align the Culver and Melton piece of it and compare those two guys in that situation. I don't know what you all think about well, that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the difference is just in, in concern – regarding the comparison is almost like – they're both top picks that just didn't pan out, and this is like their chance at a second opportunity, whereas Melton was more of like a lower pick that just hadn't gotten any playing time. He wasn't considered like a bust or anything. Right, but Culver so. hadn't gotten a ton of PT either. He was not playing a lot his this past year in right. Minnesota, and I even heard some people like, oh, yeah, we're going to send him down to South Haven, and I'm like, no, we're not. Like, why would we do that? This is a completely opposite situation. In my mind. Well, I'd be shocked if Culver some, goes down to South Haven and spends half the year. You also had some off-the-court stuff that it's just like Josh Jackson was kind of having to even rebuild that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a perfect comparison, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. So, But uh, I think you're right. I think if like Culver just doesn't play, I think there's our answer. Yeah. Because if you look at the last two situations, Josh Jackson in the bubble didn't get a minute, and he was gone. Justice Winslow. Towards the end of the season, we gave him his little run. Didn't work out. We sat him. Didn't come back. So I think that's telling. If the season continues on and Culver either loses minutes or just never gets in the rotation, I think we know our answer. Because Melton played a pretty good bit after we acquired him, especially towards the end of the year. Like He was very much in closing lineups and stuff like that. All so. I'm saying is we have a lot of mouths to feed in this lineup. And I think purely from a financial situation perspective it's going to be really difficult if Culver ends up being really good and depending upon I mean this also is dependent upon what we do with our stupid option that we don't know of what's going to happen so I mean I consider this question sort of contingent upon what happens with that so we pick it up it's almost like oh we're invested I want to see him now if we don't pick it up it's like why are you wasting your time but anyway uh, all right let's skip down real quick to this one what type of leap will John Morant make is it going to be in the 
individual scoring category. It's going to be in the uh, how he fits and how he brings in, let's say, Jaron Jackson and other players. Um, is it going to be, you know, shooting in particular, defense? What are we going to see in terms of a leap <laughs> from John Morant? Are we going to see an all-star appearance for our boy this year? What are we going to see? I sort of expect to see him at least improve his mid-range game. Maybe it's not outside completely. But I think he's going to – I'm hoping that he's added maybe a better mid-range jump, jump shot in at a minimum. And so I'm saying it's going to be scoring. I sort of think his partnership with Trip already existed, and I'm not saying that it can't get better. <clears throat> they clearly were partnering together on that, and they're going to be working together or playing, you know, maybe – uh, more alongside each other than than really they've been able to. Um, and so we'll notice it quickly. But I'm hoping that we see another like little asset get added to his specific arsenal and from a scoring department perspective. I have a, or you go ahead, Ty, and then I have a – okay. Uh, I have a big question here. Would you rather see John Morant become – take away all the connotations that we have – with these players, would you rather him become Trey Young or Shea Gilders Alexander in the way that he plays? Would you rather him become the uh, just like there's no questions, this is our number one scorer and the engine, or would you rather him be a guy that can affect the game in a lot of different ways, but he might not be that number one guy every night? What do we need him to be for the Grizzlies to be the best they can be? Both. Well, I think it's that's a tough so comparison because, like, he'll never be the offensive player that Trey is. I don't think it. What well, it's not going to come from behind the arc, right? Like but that's but like he could be like, we need you to score twenty eight a game. Well, he's he's proven he can do that. How much did he put up against Golden State in the second plan? Like forty five. It was a lot. He's done that multiple times. Even in the first bubble when we had the plan against Portland, he went toe-to-toe and put up like 35 or something. I think he can do that. I think the Shea thing is tough because Shea, I mean, he's such a good defender. He's also like 6'6", 6'7", and just like crazy long. But he, I mean, Shea will never be Ja, I don't think. Um, I think Ja, I think he has to be – to your point about the engine, I think that's what Ja is. And we've seen it. He's only been in the league two years, but we've seen it. We are at our best when he is just cooking, when he's got the ball in his hand. And you even know, you can see it like at the first five minutes of the game when Ja's like in his Big bag, game as the kids say. You like know, like, oh, this is, he's like, we're going to win because no one's going to be able to stay in front of him or stop him. You, There were multiple games last year where he was just like, I mean, it was he was playing chess. They were playing checkers. It was wild. Um, I think he has to be the engine, and I think the thing that he jumps to, I think, is some form of offensive scoring, whether that's shooting the mid range or developing some form of a three, whether that's a catch and shoot or somehow like even if a defender sags off of the uh, ball screen, they drop back. He can hit the shot there, and he you know proven that he can take it. I think. I think we see some type of improvement there from Ja because I feel like that is usually a common trajectory 
for guys that can't really shoot that well as they enter the league. That's one thing that they really learn how to do and improve on is their outside shot. So I think that's where we see Ja kind of take a step. Because honestly, everywhere else offensively, the mid-range is a great point because that, like, when he can get to his floater, he's so deadly. But when he can't get all the way there, you're kind of like, all right, what, you know. And it's so interesting what we the way going he shoots those because he doesn't have a lot of lift. I mean, he's an athletic freak. But on a shot, you notice like he doesn't really. His jumper, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. It's so like a, yeah, you got like a, to. Yeah. You're gonna, so it's interesting. The shooting, to me, is number one. Like, guys, you cannot be in a situation where guys can drop. Because right. you're already clogged as it is in the lane with a guy like Steven Adams. But, you know, it's it's if you open it up, our offense is all I think sudden, that's gonna be it. Totally different. I think we're gonna see Steven Adams play the J V two years ago where he's playing twenty two minutes a night in the last eight minutes of the game. He we don't see him unless like matchup dependent. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a ton of Jaron at the five. And I think Jaron Honestly, held his own pretty well in the playoffs at the five, playing against like Rudy, yeah, which is really tough. Yeah, that's that's gonna be so interesting. Uh, All star jaw, get it trending now. All right, so uh, a guy that we this podcast especially did not expect to take any sort of leap was Dylan Brooks, and yet he did, and now he's a no question core Grizzly. Uh, as it stands currently. Uh, so now that the season's coming back, we know what we have in playoff Dylan, but are we going to see playoff Dylan in the regular season or are we going to see ba- some bad Dylan? Or are we going to see a mix? What's the what's the, uh, what's the the split going to be? Get Why to don't you get us going on this, I'm gonna say, Mr. Walker? I'm going to say it's going to be 50-50. I think you all of a sudden have a huge um, ego boost in Dylan Brooks. You have... If there could be... No, such you, a thing. You had, yeah, you're right. <laughs> the ego was already up there, but now he has at least something to point to to be like, this is why I was acting that way the whole time. Um, I think there's going to be plenty of bad Dylan, and I think we're going to react the same. <laughs> and I think we're going to want him out, and then we're going to be in crunch time in March, and it's going to be like, well, we know we can rely on him. So go out there and. Uh, guard Clay and don't let him get a shot off, stuff like that. So I think literally fifty fifty. Like I don't think he's like a, I don't think he's taking like a seventy five percent of the time. It's good deal and twenty five percent bad. I think we're going to see fifty fifty in the regular season. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote this question because. I just I'm just preparing my mind for bad Dylan, um, because I sort of like grew to like and appreciate playoff Dylan as much as I just I was probably the most passionately vocal about bad Dylan and my stance on where he should be and what should happen to him. So I know that I am fully expecting bad Dylan to be the trend and. And, I, and it and it honestly like us to really have to evaluate if it's worth keeping him for playoff Dylan. There and it I is. I think it's a real question that yeah. has to be answered. And here's the other question. Did you just, you know, strike gold in a stock? Are you are you holding GameStop right now? 
and it just hit its peak because it's, you know, trending for whatever reason. And it's like, do I hold or do I secretly behind the scenes sell? When Bitcoin hit 65,000, I was really glad to be selling. <laughs> there you go. Well, clearly we're holding because the big rumor in draft night was the Knicks right. through the basically both who of their we first talked round about picks. we talked about him being such a he's good such nick. a nick he he's such a, a, he nick. a nick thibodeau yeah. dreams he'll play Dylan 40 Brooks. minutes a game 48 <laughs> all of them he won't have knees in three years i think i, I don't I, if there was a legitimate offer on the table for the knicks i don't understand why we did i think there him. was i really think that 21 or 23 and something else maybe nilikin i don't know something honest, was there that's not enough for dylan yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. So I think to your point, like last year we would have been like, "Oh my gosh, we just what did what are we doing?" Yeah. But now it's just like, "Nah, he's so much. He's worth so much more than that." Yeah. But I think to uh, Brantley's point I'm about the whole, that, by the way, just for the record, the whole Melton thing, like we haven't seen it, we won't, but we've seen it from Dylan. He was ready. That dude, like every night, you knew what you were getting, and thank the Lord, his shot was going in exactly. And when it wasn't, who knows what would have transpired over those last two weeks of the season, but it did. And I don't know. He proved it, man, for that. The one flash that he's gotten, he's proved it. Yep. All right. Um, Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones are now eligible for extensions. This is their expiring contract year, and we're able to actually extend them at any point during the season, similar to what we did with Dylan Brooks. Um, do you think that either of these extensions are going to happen during the season? Or are we going to play it out, see what happens on the open market next year, and then evaluate? I do not think that either of these will receive an extension from the Memphis Grizzlies this year. I think Kyle gets extended, and I think Tyus is traded by the trade deadline. I think, I think that we... I think... I hope that we find an extension that Kyle and the Grizzlies can agree upon because he is so valuable in so many ways. Uh, and I think he could come for mid-level money or lower um, at this point. And I think that I agree. I don't think that there's necessarily a guy. I, th I think it was very interesting that Desmond Bain was playing one more than any other position in the summer league. Um, I don't think that was a coincidence. I think you might see D'Anthony Melton play some one. Uh, when Ja goes out, I don't think Tyus is on our team next year. He was a great Grizzly. Awesome dude. Uh, but unless it's for a heavy discount and we have a roster spot to spare, I don't think you're going to see Tyus. I think in that, in that circumstance, Ty, your trade idea and prediction is hopefully what happens if we're not going to retain I think him. so. And I think even for like a second. Yeah, I think the Grayson Allen trade is very because clearly we're all about stockpiling those assets again. And even Kleiman said at media days, which is really interesting, he's like, "We got clear books and we got a lot of picks in the next few years. So if we want to do something, we can do it." And I don't think we're gonna use that cap space, especially when he references reference the clear books thing to do another three-year, 30 million for Tyus on a backup point guard. I don't really see that happening. I could see us, like, drafting someone in the second round next year or something like that to play, like, Jalen Brunson or something. Right. Even though that was, like, a 
awesome second round pick, but I think those are out there. So totally, even his little brother Trey Jones, Tyus Jones kind of seems like a spur to me. Straight it. up trade. Let's do it. Yeah, um, Jones for Jones. All right. So moving on, the Grizzlies finalized their training camp roster, which is twenty. 20 strong. You have to be down to 15 by the time the season starts. Uh, we converted Eve Pons into a two-way player, uh, as well as Sean McDermott or Killian Tilly, one of the two. I think it's Tilly. Oh, McDermott's the two-way? Okay. And then um, we waived Daniel Aturu. We waived Carson Edwards. And now, if you look at the roster... It is clear that we have 16 guys that we need to get down to 15. The two guys that are at the very end of that list are Sam Merrill from the Milwaukee Bucks in the Grayson trade and also Chris Dunn. Um, and Merrill makes about a million. Dunn makes about five. That's the decision I think is that's going to be made, is which do we retain. Um, I don't think either are going to crack your rotation at all. And so I think I'd rather have the $5 million trade asset rather than the one. Uh, because that, I mean, $5 million of dead money hurts you more than $1 million. That's my opinion. I Yeah, I think the idea of Chris Dunn, honestly, it's we are overlapping that player. He is D'Anthony Melton. He's just not as good. He is a defensive-minded, gritty, really solid defender, but doesn't really have an offensive game, and Melton's proven that he can at least shoot. Um, Merrill is Grayson Allen 2.0, just worse. Uh, yeah, I think you're right in the fact that I don't, I don't think either one get a huge role moving forward, but I think you're right. I think we would probably value Dunn's versatility, at least on defense, than we would Merrill's one-track mind of being honestly still like an average shooter to be like known as a shooter. So Yeah, and I don't even think that anything on the court has anything to do with this decision, in my opinion. Like, regardless of which would fit better. Like, I think it's just one makes more money, it's easier to trade, usually. Any thoughts there, Brantley? No, it makes sense. All right, last one. This These kind of go hand-in-hand, hand, and it has less to do with the Grizzlies and what's, you know, what's who's on their team now and more about the league, but... Ben Simmons, obviously we know if you followed NBA at all, it's like the number one story and it has been for the last couple of weeks. He's demanding a trade from the Sixers. Damian Lillard has been in that those rumors as well as Bradley Beal. Those latter two are obviously way more uh, of a question for trades than Ben Simmons. But if we see a trade involving those three players uh, or a combination of, of one or two or three, where will they go, and will the Grizzlies be a third team in any of the deals? And that also goes into our situation financially and all the open space we have leading into t- the next couple of years. Um, I'll just start really quick by saying if, you, if the Sixers said Ben Simmons for John Conchar, I would say no. <laughs> and that's not just because I'm a John Conchar fan. Because Ben Simmons has like 140 plus million left on his deal, and I don't think you want that, no matter who they're asking for, in my opinion. But so, as far as the Grizzlies getting involved in any of these guys, 
I don't really see it with these three in particular, but I could see us being a facilitator. Yeah, I think a facilitation point makes sense. I don't – none of those guys are coming to us. I I could see Ben Simmons and Dame getting swapped, and I think Beal stays with the Wiz. That's what I think. I, I could see Ben Simmons ending up with the with the Blazers, Lillard wanting out. So there's some asset swap that happens there, and Lillard ends up in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I was thinking about as well is, like, is are there any division uh, teams in our division that have the uh, capacity to make a trade for any of these guys? The only t- two teams that came to mind were Dallas. If Porzingis all of a sudden starts playing incredible, that's not going to happen, I think, with any of those caliber guys. It could just to make the salaries work, theoretically, but I don't even know who's like a young guy on Dallas that is like the the sweepstakes in the deal, and Porzingis is just the matching money. I couldn't think of that. And then, I mean, New Orleans, if they wanted to blow it up with Brandon Ingram, something like that, a bunch of picks that they have, they're more likely, in my opinion. Any of those three guys coming to New Orleans, maybe Ben Simmons, uh, not really, but... The other two guys are like big uh, in terms of the competitiveness of our division, but we're in a really weird rebuilding division. And if Dallas isn't going to make the move, then I don't know. Yeah. I think one thing about the asset thing where we don't have as much space as we've had in the past. So we've been able to take on a pretty significant amount of money in the past and we can't really do that as much anymore. Our books are not that like we don't have that type of space anymore like we used to. So for us to like take on a big contract and then like receive something because the other team doesn't want to take it on or to make space for Ben Simmons or whatever that looks like, we don't really have that capability anymore. Um, so I think that's something to look out for. And then I also think if we do get involved, it's going to be like us receiving like a younger asset and maybe a pick and sending out like a veteran, hence like a Kyle Anderson or something like that, to Philly to help them with contention this year because that's what their goal is. And I don't really know what that looks like either. Um, so I wouldn't bet on it, but it wouldn't just absolutely shock me if, if we were somehow to wiggle out a probably a small asset in the deal, probably nothing crazy. We're a very weird team in the sense that we don't have a $30 million guy. On our books. Yep. Yet. But um, it'll be interesting. Something to watch. It's more uh, high-level NBA. But uh, all right, any final questions before we wrap it up here that we didn't get to? I don't have any questions, but I just I thought it was the Ben Simmons to Memphis thing is such an interesting thing. and I, y'all It's two, not interesting. See, y'all two are very adamant, just like, no. It's, no, it's a don't stupid even bring that debate. shit in here. Jacob over here friend of the pod who's just chilling is a huge Ben Simmons fan and basically said he would give essentially whatever it took. Okay. The reason I say that is because there's a contingency of Grizzlies fans that agree with him wholeheartedly. Totally. Some smart, some would argue some, some smart people. I, here's the thing. Ben Simmons as a player, you could talk me into that. Ben Simmons as a contract, there is zero you can do to talk me into that. Because if we do not, we we already had a Chandler Parsons situation, and Ch- Ben Simmons is not an injury risk 
or a health risk like Chandler was, but he's certainly just as bad of a contract right now. It's like such a New Orleans move for us to do that, for us to go get Simmons. Yeah. Like, just get something that you're not really sure fits. We're, we're not into testing that way. That's not what we do here. We make moves that are either very well calculated like and are very minimal risk or something that we know is going to work. Our last we're not a poverty. Pick. We're not a poverty franchise. Our last draft so we're pick not, was a little risky. Yeah, but it was Zyre low. At ten. It, risky in what sense? In it that. was an upside pick, but the monetary risk was what? Well, that we moved on a scale of one to ten, several spots on a scale to, of one to ten. What monetary risk happened by picking Zaire? Then we got a top ten pick who may never pan out whatsoever. No, no, no. The monetary risk in that pick was what? I don't know. One to ten. How much? How risky was it? On a monetary basis. I'd probably say like a seven. Ooh. Disagree. I think it's like a four or five. Really? Simmons is a ten. Hmm. Yeah, you got you're team sinking, options. You're Zaire, sinking. You're you sinking. Do, your, you're sinking what you've built. This may be your last lottery pick in a long time, and you spend it on a big-time boomer bust guy that may never help you at all. But yeah. see, that's not the it's monetary the risk. Right. I'm just saying, like, if you think about like franchise building, kind of like what you're talking about. Yeah, it's not though that we're we didn't bust on the Morant pit. That would be more of like the. But we were in a com- completely different stage of everything at that point. I'm just saying that. Yeah, the money sinking into that pick, like it, it doesn't have long term implications. So Simmons has a long term implication if you sink into it. You got to know without a shadow of a doubt that when you make that, you do that deal, you know it's going to work. There's yeah. no testing. Yeah. No, and I, I do. I kind of like went down the rabbit hole of thinking about Simmons and Jaw next to each other being like the the de- defensive one versus the playmaking, more dynamic one, and the distribution that you would have there would be ridiculous. And it all comes back to how much money he's making because it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. And I I don't think it's a basketball fit, period. No, I, I don't either because it's I think the shooting close. would just be t- so tough unless Jaw all of a sudden became a completely different All guy. of a sudden, ben, ben wants the ball. So his usage rate is going to be more – he wants a usage rate more than Jaws. That doesn't work. Right. So To be clear, I'm just being <laughs> devil's advocate here. I don't really hope this happens or think it would be the best thing. <laughs> Jacob does not, Jacob does not like that his first take on this pod is about being on Ben Simmons. I'm just we needed to have discussion. Uh, it, we did, and I don't even think that this discussion that's happening in like Grizz Twitterverse is worth having. No. Like it's just as stupid as the vaccine talk on Grizz Twitterverse. Hmm. Right. Just to like end this take very loud and clear, in yeah. my opinion. All right, guys, this has been fun. We are geared up and ready to go for the season. We have a lot of questions that need answering, and we think they can be answered this year potentially. So stick with us. It's going to be a fun ride. We'll see you in less than a month.